Lakeshore family, good morning to you. I am so excited, literally, uh, to teach uh, this morning. Uh, the text before us, it might be familiar uh, to you, but I'm, I'm going to trust that you're going to learn something that you've never actually were able to pull out of this text. I know that I did, and I'm very familiar with the passage, but, but here's where we're going this morning. Uh, Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13, so just two verses this morning, and the title of today's sermon is The Double-Edged Sword. The Double-Edged Sword. Again, Hebrews 4, uh, verses 12 and 13. Let me uh, read God's word uh, to you. This is what it says. Uh, For the word of God is living and effective, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So reads God's holy and inerrant word this morning. I wanted to give you a little bit of context before we dive in here. The writer uh, to the Hebrews, he's actually exhorting, he has been, continues to exhort his audience to the intended hearer to persevere in their maturity, in the maturation process. And a theme that runs through the entire book of Hebrews is that God's people, the Christian, the believer, they are to be, a, they're there to be diligent. We're to be a diligent people. Uh, we're to be a people that live by faith, uh, not just understand faith, but live by faith. And we are also to take God at his word. That's, what is a, that's a theme that runs through this entire uh, book. But he is pleading uh, with his audience, the Hebrew people, uh, he's pleading with them to, to be diligent, to be the type of people who will enter into the rest. Remember that last week? He's pleading with them. He's saying, be diligent to hear the good news, to hear the word, to respond to it, to believe in it, to trust it, to embrace it, to hold on to it. Remember, one of the hallmarks, one of the ways that we can distinguish ourselves from being a believer or not a believer is perseverance. A true believer will persevere. It's not going to be perfect, but we're going to persevere. It's one of the hallmarks of being a Christian. Now, I want to slow down for a second and share this with you. It's important. I think it sets up the text. The opposite of diligence. Now, again, the Christian is called to be diligent, okay? But the opposite of diligence is drifting. So again, the exact opposite of diligence is to be a drifter or to drift away, drifting. Obviously, the writer is imploring uh, uh, most of these people, uh, I would say it would be in this category, that there, there's many that have had some sort of spiritual drift. Someone's drifting. I don't know the percentage, but someone is drifting away, and that's why we see uh, the warning. And he's also letting them know in this gracious warning that a failure to heed the numerous warnings, uh, it, 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 it's going to lead to something. It ultimately, uh, if one rejects Christ, rejects the things of the Lord, they'll end up in hell. But he's, he's pleading with them. He's saying, you got to get this. Uh, it, makes, it reminds me of something we've read previously in Hebrews 2, verse 1. It says this, For this reason, we must pay attention all the more 
to what we've heard so that we will not drift away. So again, the opposite of diligence is drifting. So here's a couple of questions for us just to consider as we think about this text. Here's the first question. How can you and I, I know it's written to the Hebrew people, but it's obviously applicable to us. How can you and I remain a diligent people? Something to ponder, to think about. Uh, here would be a short answer to this, but you can go much deeper. Uh, one of the ways that we could pay close attention uh, to the Word of God. Uh, that is one way that we can remain a diligent people by paying close attention to the Word of God. So I would just ask today that you would lean in even a little bit closer today and really lean in and hear God's Word so that you can not only understand God's Word, but you could be thinking in advance, how can you apply God's Word? You know, speaking of drifting, you know, you and I don't just wake up one day and, and make a, a 90 degree turn, if you will. That doesn't just happen. It's, it's subtle. When drifting happens, it's, it's subtle. We drift, uh, ultimately, most of us will drift uh, little by little. And we're not, if we're not drifting, when we're drifting, we're not obviously drifting to God, we're drifting away from God, but we're actually drifting to the things that, that we're attracted to. We're drifting towards the attractions of uh, this world. And, and you and I need to be warned here, if, if you and I do not practice a, a daily, that's every day, a daily focused time of communion with God, we are going to find ourselves drifting in the wrong direction. You know, Pastor Jerry Bridges, who's now in heaven, is a prolific writer, and he's written some outstanding books. One is The Holiness of God. But he's got an illustration here that I think is going to help me to illustrate this point. Allow me to read it to you. He says this, uh, in my Navy days, before we had global positioning satellites, we used the provided tools to get our navigational position twice each day. At dawn and at dusk, we would uh, shoot the stars, if you will, and get a position. And invariably, after having done that, we had to make a minor course correction. Obviously, if we didn't do that, not only daily, but in our case, twice daily, we would soon find that we were way off course. You and I, he says, you and I need that daily course correction. And we do this as we have this focused time on God. That's a quote from Jerry Bridges. How helpful is that? Hey, point number one this morning is Christian coffee cups and quiet time. Again, Christian coffee cups and quiet time. I think some of you are going, what in the world is he talking about? I don't see that anywhere in, in the text this morning. Uh, we're we're going to figure out a way to get it in, okay? We'll have some fun with this. I don't know if you've noticed this, and maybe it's just some weird thing that I'm going through that I notice things I probably shouldn't notice. I'm wasting too much energy on it. But if you go into a Christian bookstore, and for whatever reason, if you're in the market to purchase a coffee mug for yourself or for a friend, you want to gift one. Have you ever noticed that the mug, the, the coffee mug, the photo and the verse actually don't match? They don't go together. Let me give you an example. In Philippians 4.13, it's a famous passage that says that, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, on this particular coffee mug, along with that verse, 
there's a photo, there's a man that's being depicted lifting weights. Um, that is not a verse about lifting weights, pumping iron, trying to get Popeye arms. This is a verse about contentment. That's what the verse means. So that doesn't even make sense. Uh, ladies, uh, this one's for you. It's actually found in today's text, which is Hebrews 4, uh, verse 12. Uh, let me read it. Again, think about the coffee mug. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. Okay, that sounds good. But on this coffee cup, we see that verse. And then you also see a, a woman on the coffee mug and she's kind of snuggled up in a blanket and she's got her slippers on. She's kicking back, got coffee in one hand. And, and that's the depiction on, on the mug. I mean, this is laughable on so many fronts because what is obvious to me, maybe even obvious to you if you notice something, is this best-selling coffee mug is missing 50% of the verse. I want you to allow me to read the verse once again in its entirety. That was only half the verse. This is what it says. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. That's where it ended before. Let's continue. Penetrating as far as the separation of the soul and spirit joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's the full verse, and that's important, and I'll explain it to you in a minute. But, but as I read that verse in its entirety, did you feel something there? I mean, did you really feel it? If you understand that verse, you feel it. It'll kind of rock you. And I think we need to understand the full force of this verse and all of God's Word. Let, let me continue. You see, God's Word, obviously, being depicted here before us, the metaphor is, is the word of God is a sword. It, it literally, you can translate that a dagger, a little dagger, not a long sword like pirates of the Caribbean. I mean like a little dagger. And, and that dagger is double-edged. Both sides of that blade will slice and dice you. It'll pierce your heart so deep that it will, according to the text, it will separate joints and marrow. You see marrow, you can't see marrow. It's hidden in there, right? It's, it's hidden. I mean, it goes deep is the point. The word of God, according to this text, is going to find things that have been hiding in the secret places. The word of God goes deep. Deep. This word of God, according to the text, is going to examine you. It's going to examine why you do what you do. It's going to examine your motives, your true motives. It goes deep. It knows things that other people don't know. Your best friend may not even know this, but God does. You see, according to this text, the word of God is going to shine a light so bright in your heart, it's going to go to the darkest of corners, the dark, dark places of your heart. The word of God is so deep. It will cut you so deep. It will cut you so deep and wide that you will be laid fully exposed, completely vulnerable. Literally, according to the text, you will be naked before God. Because, here's why, because when it comes to God and His Word, there is nowhere to hide. Brothers and sisters, I mean, I'm not just talking to the sisters, I mean brothers and sisters, 
This is what I would call a saddle up verse. Uh, this is a put on your big boy pants or your big girl pants on. I mean, this, is, this isn't one of those verses where you, you put on a onesie and do a sip, sip, sip with your little coffee. This is not a verse where you, you have a little bit of coffee, again, sip, 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 you got your onesie, and now you're gonna check your social media while you're reading it, and maybe catch the news as you're glancing through uh, the Word of God. No, that is not how you read this verse. This is a verse that will literally separate you uh, from the world. This is a give, give the Lord, give the Lord our God your full attention. Lean into this. This is something where God by his grace is allowing you to allow the living and active word of God, God to invade your heart and your mind. Why? Because for many, eternity is at stake. Heaven and hell is in the balance for many. For some, they are in Christ, but they've been drifting, right? They haven't been diligent. They've been drifting. There is mission drift. The mission at Lakeshore City Church is to love God, love people, and make disciples. And every Christian is to do that. But when we're off mission, we're certainly not doing that. We're drifting, and usually we're drifting away, not only from God, but away from people, and we're doing us. This Word of God and the text before us this morning, it, 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 when we start to drift, uh, it, it, we start to see exactly how far we've drifted. The Word of God will, will do that. Sometimes as we read, we are so exposed, we realize once again that we're off mission, and we realize according to the Great Commission where God says, go there, and as we examine ourselves to the Word of God, we realize we're not going there as God tells us to do. We're way over here, and that's God's grace because the Word of God will expose us, and it will literally help us. Remember, the Word of God is a light unto our feet. It helps us to see our feet so our feet can get moving in the right direction. The Word of God does so many things. But I want to ensure that I want to make sure I get this point across this morning. We don't always need quiet time with God. Now, now some of you are going, what in the world? This is heresy. Now, listen, you don't always need quiet time with God. Sometimes we need cry out time to God. Sometimes we need to let it rip I read the Psalms and I see a book that is raw, full of emotion. I see men and I see men crying out to God, letting it all hang out. You know, we need to do that sometimes. We don't always just need quiet time. Sometimes, uh, as we're in our Word, uh, we need to uh, understand that that it's okay to be both loud and messy as you bring your junk and you lay it all before God. He already knows, so why in the world wouldn't we want to do that? We need to get in the habit of doing that. And I want to let you know that according to God's word today, it's okay to do exactly that. Quiet time is good. Cry out time is also good. Both are needed in our daily walk with Christ. Uh, point number two, the grace of being naked and exposed by God. You may not have heard that correctly. The grace of being naked. There's grace in this and being exposed by God. You know, in the very first book uh, in God's word, uh, the book of Genesis, uh, we see something there. We see an account of Adam and Eve. 
And obviously after Eve took a bite of that apple and they both sinned, they decided to, they made a decision to do something. They, they had a plan. Their plan was to, to make a run for it. Uh, their plan was to introduce uh, God to a brand new game that they thought they invented. Uh, and it was a game called hide and seek. Uh, this, they, they quickly learned something during this uh, new game that they were uh, inventing on their own there, that they, there was no hiding spot that was uh, going to be good enough to, to hide from God. It was kind of a foolish endeavor. Adam and Eve tried to cover up more than just their, their bodies with, with clothes. They, they tried to cover up sin. That's what's happening there. They're covering up their sin. They're ashamed. They've been exposed. Something's come over them and they're trying to cover up. You know, you and I are a lot like Adam and Eve. You know, we try to cover things up. We try to run. We try to hide. We do just like Adam and Eve did. But we need to always be reminded of something. We don't always remember this, but it's important to lean in again and remember this. We need to be reminded that what we cover, God is going to uncover. What we try to cover up, God is going to uncover it. And what we uncover, God covers. This is just another example of the grace of God. I want us to look at verse 13 together. It says this, No creature is hidden from him, but all things, notice the word all, all things, everything, all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account, Hebrews 4, 13. I want you to notice the pecking order there, if you will. It, it, it says that, that, that we, you and I, Josh Jimenez is in front of me, so Josh and Charlie, we are the creature, okay? Now, if, if we're the creatures, we need to understand that he's the creator. That's what it's teaching us. The creator God, he, he, he is the one who will always do as he pleases, pleases. The creator God, he's the one who leads and us creatures were to follow him. That's the design. The verse says, though, in verse 13, that all things are naked and exposed. The all things is you and I in this context, the Hebrew people, if you will. Your translation might say it a different way. It might say uh, laid bare, laid bare. The wording here, whether you want to go with laid bare, the actual, when you get into the, uh, the, the Hebrew word here, we're not going to do that. But, but as we, if we examine that and we, and we do the work on that, we sit in the chair, if you will, and figure that out, this wording is only used once in the entire New Testament. And the exact meaning of being laid bare is actually to expose uh, the neck. That's what it means. It means to expose the neck. I want to kind of illustrate that for you to really bring some clarity on this because it's actually of vital importance. I just want you to picture a man uh, grabbing uh, a, a, a lamb uh, and 
He grabs the lamb. So again, somebody working, you know, in a field like that, they grab uh, the lamb and they take the lamb and they place the lamb's head all the way back like this. Okay, that's what this verse means. You place the ham, the lamb's uh, neck, expose the neck. That's that's what's happening here. Now, what's happening here? What what is this teaching us? What what does this mean? Uh, the bottom line is we are laid bare. We are left to be placed in a vulnerable position. You are being exposed. And not only are you being exposed, there is an instrument, there is this double-edged sword that ultimately could easily slice and dice you. It could, it, could, it could just destroy you because that knife is so sharp. You're vulnerable, if you will. And as if that wasn't enough, that graphic, graphic, depiction. I told you it's not a coffee cup verse. If that wasn't enough, we are reminded in that same verse that we, even the Christian, everybody is to give an account to God. Let's just think about that for a second, that you and I, even the believer, is going to give an account to God. Everybody will bend their knee to God. We will give an account to him. This verse teaches us that. All of us will stand in front of God. All of us will be held accountable. Christian, for you as well. How did you, as you're being held accountable, how faithful were you with your, as we've said before, your time, your talent, and your treasure? Were you faithful? You're going to be held accountable for that. Were you one that was faithful to tell others about Jesus? That's why we exist is to proclaim the good news of Christ. Were you faithful in sharing uh, the, the good news of the gospel? We're going to be exposed. We're going to give an account. You know, did we, did we build, did we, were we part of building God's kingdom? Or were we busy building our own empires? We're going to be held accountable. Brothers and sisters, questions are going to be asked of us. What did we do when we read God's word and we come across an imperative? An imperative is a command. It's not, it means do it now, right? Delayed obedience is disobedient. Disobedience. What did we do when we came across a command in the scripture? What did we do when we said, you know, I know it says to do it now, but you know, God, um, I think it would be okay that I don't do anything because, you know, right now I've got school and school's busy. I'll do it after school, after the semester, after I finish college. You know, do, I'll, I'll, I'll obey you, honor you uh, when uh, my kids are all growing up, when they're out of college, when they're, you know, it's, it's always something is my point. We're going to give an account for that. And, and as we give an account, our true motives are going to be exposed. But brothers and sisters, we don't need to wait till we give an account to God. We can be exposed now, this side of eternity. As we read God's word, we see. And when you love God, you love his word and you want to obey him. And you can go, man, I never saw that. I want to obey that. I've read that thing three or four times and never saw that there. I'm challenged by this. I see a command there. I'm going to jump all over this. God will supply my every need, including time. You see, we start reading things differently, but we start understanding things differently. We start obeying, right? Because that's part of the maturation process of the believer. We're diligent, right? That's what we're learning, okay? So it starts to change us, but we're also being accountable. We're accountable. We're being exposed to our 
true motives. Let me ask you this question. What do you do when you typically hear the word of God? I mean, when you get done hearing the word of God, and again, this is not about doing things. We're not saved by uh, works. We're saved by grace, but because we're saved, we want to do what? We want to honor uh, the Lord. We want to be part of his mission. We want to go out there and proclaim and work and, and do what we can to be faithful and diligent to honor the Lord with our time, talent, and treasure. So what do you do when you hear the word? Like, what are you going to do when you hear the word today or next week or as you read uh, the word tomorrow uh, during your quiet time or your cry out time? Well, brothers and sisters, one of the things that's very important right now, we need to pause and think about it. Do you remember how the Hebrew people responded to the word? Do you remember how they responded to the good news? It's not good. Brothers and sisters, it's horrific. That's why there's such a dire warning here. They're not being diligent. They're drifting. They're drifting all over the place. Uh, let me give you the exact words from God. This is verse, this is Hebrews 4, verse 2. This is the answer. For we also have received the good news just as they did. But the message they heard, listen to this, how sad, it did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. What a sad verse. It's a shame. It's a shame because God, who is so rich in mercy and grace, he's revealed himself to them. The Hebrew people, he's, Christ has been revealed. He, he, he walked amongst us. He, 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 he was the one that the prophets spoke about. He was there. Jesus has, has come and he's revealed himself. Look at 1 John. He's revealed himself. And they've come to this conclusion. Yeah, the word of God, it doesn't benefit me. I see no value in the word. I see no value in the things of God. I'm not going to lay my life down for that. They considered it. They, they intellectually understood. But that's where it ended. Intellectual. They had it in the head. They didn't have it in the heart. And that's how you'll know when someone truly loves Christ. Because it moves away just from the head. And it gets to the heart. And when a heart is touched and pricked by God, they change. I mean, literally, they change. They, they see their life as not of any value but to honor God. To, 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 to die is gain. We're changed. We're, we're, we're generous. We want to help people. Do you realize how many calls I've gotten since this whole COVID-19 has worked out with people calling me saying this? Pastor, how can I help? financially? Is there anybody in need? I want to be part of the solution. Pastor, do you have anything that I can do? I want to serve. What can I do? They're going crazy, you know? And of course, there's lots of things they can do, but, but, but they just want to, they, they want to serve. They, they want to honor God. They want to be part of their community. And that's what happens when a heart has been changed. It's no longer looking just inward. It's not just me, me, me. It's looking outward. How can I please God? Brothers and sisters, we need to be a people that don't just hear the Word of God. We need to be a people that don't just understand the Word of God. 
We need to be a people that, that acts and, 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 and takes action on, on what can I do? What a privilege. I want to hear and I want to respond because sometimes you can be here, H-E-R-E, but you don't really hear, H-E-A-R. We need to hear. We need to be here and we need to hear and we need to respond. Don't be a person that hears and understands, but yet you don't respond. Here's the danger of it. Here's the danger of it. Our hearts become hard. When we don't obey God, our hearts, they, they change. They, they become hard. A heart becomes, becomes calloused and crusty. And then after it's calloused and crusty, it becomes hard. And it, it, it happens like this because we're, 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 we're saying, I just don't, I'm going to choose not to trust God. I'm going to choose not to embrace God. And ultimately, I'm going to choose to disobey Brothers and sisters, be reminded of what God's word says. Jesus said these very words. He said, I know my sheep. I know them. They might be weak. <laughs> they might uh, fall over and they can't get back up sometimes. That's the way you're created, right? You know, but he knows who you are. He knows your name. And you hear. The sheep, he says, they hear me and they follow me. They hear me, they follow me, and they obey me. They hear and they respond, and the response is proof positive. We can prove it because they obey God. They obey his word, therefore they obey God. Praise the Lord for his word. I've always been fascinated, intrigued, and my heart has always been pulled uh, with great joy and gratitude when I understand the complete life of King David. King David, the one that we know was this great warrior, but also this one who fell and fell hard. You know, it all started to go south for David. And you may know the story when he was supposed to have gone off uh, to war. He was a king and kings go to war. But he made a really, really catastrophic decision. And that decision was to not go off to war. He stayed idle. He made a decision to stay idle. He made a decision, if you will, to not be diligent. And because he wasn't, he began to drift. He drifted so far downstream metaphorically that he didn't know which way was up and which way was down. He was long gone. But something happened. God, by his grace, sent Nathan, the prophet, to confront David. Because what, what did David do? He, he broke every one of the Ten Commandments. He, he, he didn't just fall. I mean, literally, he broke every one of the Ten Commandments. He, 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 he took another man's wife. He committed adultery. He, he murdered. He, he did every unthinkable thing. This is King David. This is how far he, he drifted. But his sin was totally exposed by Nathan the prophet. You know, when we think about King David and we go, man, what was, what was he thinking? I mean, what were you thinking, David? Were you, were you that blinded by your sin? Yes, he was that blinded. David, was your heart that hard? Yes, his heart was that 
hard. He became prideful and arrogant. And and the, the sad thing about this is there was warning lights everywhere. He was being warned and warned and warned, but God, by his grace, Get, he grabbed him. He, he got his attention. And you might know the story where Nathan said to David, you are that man. You're that man I speak of, this vilest of creatures who sinned against God and broke every, broke every one of the Ten Commandments. That was a moment because David, uh, he broke down. David, when he was confronted, when it all hit the fan and, and, and he was forced to, to come clean, David was sorrowful. And I pick up some of his thoughts here, his words in Psalm 51. I won't read all of it to you, but here's a few verses from Psalm 51. He says this after being confronted. Oh, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Oh, blot out my rebellion, oh God. Completely wash away my guilt. Cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious, I'm conscious of my, of my rebellion and my sin. It's, it's always before me. And then he says this, against you, against you and you alone I have sinned. And I've done this evil thing in your sight. Remember, God's watching. He says, when you pass sentence, God, I know this, that you are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. And then it starts to turn roughly in verse 6. I won't read all of it to you. Let me give you verse 6, though. Then he says this. This is David. He says, surely you desire. You desire integrity in the inner self. You can't get to the inner self on your own. You need God to go in and get it. You need God to get into the marrow. He needs to get into the deep, dark places of your heart where only the dagger of God's word can get to. This is a great example of God getting someone in the darkest of places. He went after him because he loved him. But this is the verse that just makes me go, I want to be like David. I mean, do you want to be like David? I mean, he broke every one of the Ten Commandments. I do. David said these words. Again, Psalm 51, 10. God, create a clean heart for me and renew me. It's renewal, revival, renewal, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't banish me. Don't take me from your presence or take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of my salvation back to me. Do you think he's sincere? He is definitely sincere. He fell hard. He went down. He went down for the count. He was exposed, his secret places, his secret thoughts, all those things that he thought he was going to get away with. He got found out, exposed, exposed, laid naked before the Lord. But now David is saying no more secrets, no more secrets. And he's saying, God, revive me, revive me. The word of God revives us, brothers and sisters. This is what's so precious about the Word of God. It, it, it revives 
us. We need to be revived. It's the great revealer. It's the great truth teller. You see, sin, uh, you know, the, the word of God, what it does is it separates things. It separates sin. It separates truth from faults. It, 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 it brings everything out onto the forefront and says, this is who you are. Not who you claim to be. Not the mass. This is it. And God in his mercy and his grace says, you're still my son. You're still my daughter. If we've trusted him as our Lord and Savior. I mean, this is grace at a whole nother level. I don't know about you, but I don't see David having quiet time with the Lord here. I don't see no coffee mug here. I see David crying out. There are times to have quiet time, and there's times to cry out. This was a crying out time for King David. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, the word, the word of God is precious. The word of God is valuable. The word of God is needed. It will cut us. It will penetrate us. It can get bloody, but God needs to do surgery in our lives. He needs to do this heart surgery. We need to have that surgery daily. The word is a lamp that illuminates our feet so that when you are, so that when your, when your feet are illuminated, you're going to know which way to go. You're going to know which way you're headed. The word of God will reveal a heart that is keeping secrets. That's why we need the word of God. It'll find us out, but it'll find us out and pluck us out and put our feet on level ground so that we no longer drift, so that we could be repositioned and repositioned just like a satellite, just like we learned about in the Jerry Bridges illustration. We're able to get realigned, and that's what the Word of God does. It realigns our soul. Lakeshore family, as we come to a close, I want to give you a couple of practical things that I think would help you and serve you. Uh, the first thing is, as you start, as you read God's Word, uh, really be okay with the Word of God cutting you, uh, leaving you barren. Go into the reading of God's Word fully exposed. Just come clean as you read the Word. Allow the Word of God to penetrate you. Sometimes as we read the Word, we're not even aware of something that's in our life and what needs to be revealed to us. So just be okay with not being okay. Read the Word differently, knowing you're going to be fully exposed. Let the Word of God do the heavy lifting. Uh, the second thing that I'd like to share with you is kind of how to read God's Word. My wife has a four-step process that she's come up with on our own. And it's been helpful to her. You might have something like this, but I at least wanted to share it with you. She does four things as she reads uh, Scripture. The first thing she does is she, she'll do what's called a gaze. She'll come up with three to five facts about uh, the scripture that she's reading. She has a little note here that says, guide my heart. You know, what is it asking of me? How can I experience the text? Uh, number three would be glean. What are some spiritual lessons uh, that she needs to get out of this? And then the last thing it, she says is it's go and obey. I mean, that's a great thing to think about. As she reads the text, the last thing that she considers is go and obey. And literally, these are her words, what is it that I need to obey. So those are some practical things for you to consider. Brothers and sisters, please take this away on this Lord's Day that sin is serious. Sin left untreated is fatal. We need to really take heed to that. You see, the problem with sin is that sin is in here. It's in the heart. 
And what do you think is actually going to fix the problem that's in our hearts? It's the sure and steady scalpel of God's word. Many say, I want holiness. Holiness, the exact definition is the cease from sin. When you want holiness, which is a great thing to pursue, we have to remember that as we chase holiness, it's going to sting, but it's going to be worth it. Because on the other side of the dividing is the rest for our soul that we need. You see, the scriptures are going to lay us naked. We're going to be bare in front of the Lord. But the good news is we're going to be surgically dissected by the word. And we can trust the faithful hand of our surgeon, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who's going to divide in the very best of ways. Sin will sin alienates us from God, according to Ephesians 2, 1. But let's have hope because of what God did. He sent his son, Jesus. Jesus literally went to a cross. Jesus suffered and died. But you want to know what he was doing on that cross? He was taking your sins. The word of God says he took your sins. He stepped in and paid your fine. It should have been you on the cross. He didn't have any sin. We had the sin, but he stepped into that, he stepped on into that cross, on that cross, willingly. Literally, he was crucified for our iniquity, our sin. The Bible says this: for those who would repent and believe the gospel, believe Jesus Christ died for our sins, he will save us, he will, re- he will redeem us. We just need to repent and trust Jesus Christ, knowing that he took your sin, knowing that you can never pay this price, only Jesus Christ can, but he's communed your death sentence. Sin is serious, but Jesus Christ, by his grace and his mercy, paid the penalty for your sin so that you can go free. What a savior we have in Jesus Christ. I love you, church.